0: Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. Hamilton Southeastern School Board at-large elections go like this. There are three seats. All voters within the school district choose one candidate per township. There are three candidates in Delaware Township's election. Sarah Donspach is one of those three candidates having held several jobs with the Governor Mitch Daniels' administration. Izzy Alexander talks with Sarah Donspach in this podcast.
1: All right, I will start off by introducing myself for the listeners out there. My name is Izzy Alexander. I am a senior at Fishers High School this year. When my brother and I were approached to do this interview from a member of the community, we were really thrilled about the idea of getting to talk to all the school board candidates and um, increase the education in our community. It's something, civic education is something we were both very passionate about. So I'm very honored to be here today. If you wanted to start by introducing yourself as well, that'd be awesome. Um, I am
2: Sarah Donsbaugh and I'm running for the Delaware township seat um, for the HSC school board. And I was equally thrilled to get your email. I think it's great that you guys are wanting to do this. I was actually a little bit bummed when I learned that Larry wasn't going to do them anymore because I listened to a lot of podcasts and I was like, man, my one chance to be on a podcast and now it's not going to happen. So I was really excited on two fronts on that.
1: That's awesome. Do you want to tell us about yourself within HSC schools? Do you have kids in the district? That kind of stuff.
2: Um, I grew up, actually, I grew up in Carmel, so I've been a Hamilton County resident, um, given the time I was at Purdue, or I lived in D.C. for a little while, Um, so I have lived around here my whole time, uh, my whole life. I have five kids. um, All five of them were in the district last year. I have a freshman that actually is attending Purdue Polytechnic High School in Broad Ripple this year. um, He wants to go to Purdue for engineering, so that just really made sense for him um and then i have a seventh grade boy at riverside junior high and a fifth grade girl at riverside intermediate and i have two fourth grade girls at new britain elementary so um we kind of run the gamut of schools at all levels right now we're closing closing in on the end of elementary school which is sad my husband and I have been married for five years. Um, I attended Purdue University. I have a bachelor's degree from Purdue. Uh, I worked for the state of Indiana for five years in different capacities and different agencies in the state. I now work for a small family law firm in downtown Indianapolis. Um, our kids play a ton of sports. Our boys both play travel baseball. Our daughter's play daughter plays travel softball. Another one does travel soccer out of Grand Park, and our other one uh, does competitive cheer and I think is going to take a break and just do some local gymnastics stuff this year Um, I did ask my husband what one of the funniest facts about me was um, and his response was you're scared of chickens so really yeah I was attacked by my aunt's chickens when I was little (laughs) on their farm I went to like grab an egg I shouldn't have grabbed and the chicken (laughs) now on, i just chickens and I don't get along
1: It's a running joke in my family. My aunt um, got some chickens this year because she also lives on a farm in North Carolina. And it's a running joke that she adopts all sorts of injured animals because all of her chickens are either feral or she saw them at the store and was like, oh, I can't leave them. No one will want to buy them if they have broken legs. So she has a bunch of broken chickens. Um, I'm sure they would still peck you, though. I've heard they're mean. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) <laughs> My sister lives in Oregon, and she has, she has
2: had chickens, but most of them have grown old and uh, are no longer with us. But she does, does still have one chicken that is 14 years old. Wow. That's this weird, incredible chicken that just is hanging on
1: forever. <laughs> so obviously you have a lot of kids in the district, so you sort of know what's going on at all levels. Um, yeah. Do you think is considering the student voice in the school board, do you think that's important to you? Um, I do. I actually think the student
2: voice is the most important voice that we should be listening to. We are primarily elected to represent students of the district. Um, They, while they aren't the ones that get to vote for us, uh, unfortunately, they are the ones that we are elected to represent. Um, public schools and the public school system in our district is here to provide education to the students. So uh, when we look at that sort of picture, the student voice is, should be one of the most important voices that we listen to. Obviously teachers voices are also important and that's a large important group that we should also be listening to and the families of the students go there but first and foremost we are there to represent the best interest of the students and the students first so I think that the student voice is the most important one that we really need to listen to
1: how do you plan on doing that as a school board member you know I um
2: in my experience in state government I have found that small group meetings or you know town hall like meetings as you might call them now um were always really helpful. Um, And any sort of big decision that we made in the state, we always went around and had town hall meetings and communities all over the state before we did anything um, to get feedback. And sometimes things that we thought were gonna be really easy to to move forward with, we found out, yeah, that might be really easy for Indianapolis, but down in Hope, Indiana, that's not gonna really work for them. Um, So I would really like to see our board members, I mean, for me, I, I don't necessarily know how much time our current board members spend in schools um, or meeting with students. It may be a lot more than I think that it is. Um, so I don't want to say that none of them go and visit schools or talk to students, because that would be incorrect. But I would really like to us to have these sorts of meetings in different schools, specifically the high schools, um, where the students have more formulated opinions and concerns that I think need to be heard. Those sorts of meetings would be different, obviously on the elementary school level where it would be fun to go and talk to a lot of elementary school kids and see what they think the important stuff that we should be working on is. Um, But I think more so that might be more for the parents at at that point than it would be for necessarily the students. Um, Even in our government classes in high school, I think that's a great opportunity for us to talk to kids and understand what their concerns are and what their needs are going forward and also just get to experience what they're experiencing in their day at the schools.
1: That would be so awesome. I think it would be really fun, So. Yeah, it's been interesting. As I've done these interviews, I've realized from school board members that it's a lot harder for them to get in contact with students than I thought it was, Um, at least in the fact that they can't invite themselves to club meetings or show up in class uninvited, that sort of thing. So definitely in the future, I know students should be reaching out to board members more rather than um, expecting them to reach out to us first, but I think communication goes both ways, so.
2: Right, exactly. And if it's going to the administration of the school, whether it's the principal or, you know, the lead teachers and in whatever grades or departments to say, just so you know, for whatever clubs you have or classes you have, I, you know, I'm available. I would love to come in and talk to your students if it, if it works in the curriculum you're doing, or if any of the clubs have any interest in, in talking, you know, that I, here's my contact information and I'm more than available and willing to come and talk to them, I think a lot of the times the teachers and or the students probably may not know that that is an option that they can actually ask for that sort of communication or those sorts of meetings. And, you know, I think that that would be a first great opportunity for communication on all different levels.
1: What would be your top three priorities when elected to the school board? Essentially what's the platform you're running on this year?
2: You know, one of the biggest pieces is gonna be, you know, maximizing the funding we receive in the state's next biennial budget. Um, with the decreased enrollment that we're seeing because of the pandemic in our schools across the board in HSE, you know, we have the concern that there was going to be big cuts to the funding that we get from the state. And we need as a board need to be in very constant contact with our state legislators. Making sure that they're fighting for every dollar that we can possibly get back to our district, um, and understanding how how those cut, potential cuts are going to affect curriculum, classrooms, teachers, clubs, you know, back classes that aren't necessarily the necessity core classes that we've been able to provide and how we go about not losing those programs um, by the potential loss in funding. So, you know, the budget is going to be, I always. I, I would hate to say that the money is one of the top priorities, but that is, it is, is considering where we are and the end of the referendum that is coming up as well. At the same time, you know, the budget piece is, is going to be a really big piece and, you know, um, we have to make sure that we're, fighting for, for like I said, for every dollar that we can get. Um, the other issue is I would really like to see our district dig deep and address the diversity issues that our district and community has been plagued with and address diversity of all kinds, like the racial, religious, ethnic, social, and financial diversity. It's not one or the other, it's all of it because a lot of the times they're really interconnected. And as someone who grew up in this community, I mean, one town over, it's been here for a long time. You know, um, my parents moved here in the seventies and it was around then and it's still around now. And why we'd like to think it might be better. I think deep down it's not necessarily that much better. And so I think we really need to fight that one and take that challenge on head on because That's really the only way that we're not going to continue always to be saying, well, it's going to obviously not be fixed in, in one time, but I would like us to make strides and take steps forward. So we're not always standing at the bottom of the staircase saying, well, how are we going to address this issue? How are we going to address this issue? I'd like us to keep trying to take a little bit little steps here and there to make our way up the staircase to make things better versus putting a band-aid on it and saying well that's good for right now until something happens and we have to address it again um you know and i think the last one probably would be getting uh community involvement back into our district and whether it's been positive or negative because it's been that way on both sides the pandemic and how we have addressed the opening of schools has divided our community even more than it was before. And while people are becoming much more vocal, which is great, um, I would like to see us take that engagement and, you know, harness it for, like sounds weird to say, but harness it for good and for community building versus fighting with each other and having Facebook groups that are open the schools and Facebook groups that are don't open the schools and constant fighting with each other and blaming the teachers, but supporting the teachers and just to try to find a way, whether it's, like I said, through some of those sort of town hall meetings and people just need to voice their concerns, which again, in our current situation is difficult with large group gatherings not being something that is really encouraged. Um, But I think building that sense of community again um, is really important. So really, that would be the three.
1: So we just touched on it, actually. um, But this has been such a remarkably unique year in regards to public health and safety, current pandemic situation. Um, how would you plan to ensure the safety of every student and staff member in our district?
2: So that's a really quick, tricky question. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm not a healthcare professional nor an epidemiologist. Um, you know, my degree from Purdue was in political science. So, you know, I would like to see our district to continue to allow remote learning for the for the entire school year for those families that really need it because they are most at risk, whether it's the students or if it's the family where the grandparent who might be diabetic is the primary caregiver for the student. And it just, the risk for that is so high that we still have a way to encourage and allow that remote learning to happen, even if we open our school, all of our schools up to a hundred percent, you know, but, I think we also need to make sure that we're consistently monitoring the data from local and state health health officials and we need to pick one data point. So we're comparing apples to apples every time we have the discussion and we're not comparing apples that in one meeting we talked about this data, but at the next meeting we're talking about this data and this is our new metric we're going off of, which is completely different from the old metric because that's how people in our community are getting confused. And it's like, but wait, last time you said that we were going off of this number and that number is trending into the orange, but now we're going to go off this number, which is closer to the green. And so we, we need to pick a constant data point that we're either getting from the CDC or from the state health department and continue to measure on that metric and be transparent in how we are determining what these numbers are and what metric we're actually measuring off of. You know, so for that, like I said, I, I, don't, I wish I had the magic answer of how to make sure that every student and teacher and staffer in the buildings all stayed healthy and nobody got sick. But if I had that, I would be a lot more busy than I am now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think that's just, I'm big on facts and data. And so I would just look to that to guide me in how I would make decisions on how to make sure that we keep everybody in the safest environment for them.
1: Awesome. We also talked about equity a little bit earlier when you talked about the diversity problem in our community. Um, Obviously this year, we've also seen a huge focus on equity in tandem with the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, even locally. Do you plan to advance equity and equality within our district as a school board member? And if so, how would you go about doing that? Uh, yes, I
2: would. Uh, because I think it's really important. Excuse me. As I stated earlier, you know, I believe our district has, has good intentions when trying to address this issue, you know, and I think it's imperative that we fill the chief equity officer position that was located in our district last week. Um, and the person that needs to fill it is someone who's action and results oriented. Um, Dr. Rivera is an incredible person. And, you know, I'm very sad that we our district lost her um but we need to fill the position and we need to fill it with someone like her and um and it needs to be supported through the entire district and we need to give that person the opportunity to actually affect change in the district and how they decide to do that you know would be Really, I I would refer to them and their expertise in in doing these sorts of things because I myself am, while I'm aware of it, you know, I grew up in Carmel, Indiana. I'm I'm not going to say that I didn't grow up in the epitome of privilege because I did. And so, um, and someone who can't admit that um, is sometimes, I think, part of the issue that we have in our community. Um, And so... I would look to someone whose life experiences are different than mine that can show me how best that we move forward to make sure that we're continuing to advance these issues in our district.
1: Beyond filling the position, is there anything else that you would even hypothetically want to implement into the district? You know, at this point, I
2: I don't know. I don't have enough information yet on what we can and can't do and where some of those laws and rules go, um, but I would know that I would want to do everything I could and that I was able to do within the rules and regulations of the district that I'm allowed to do, uh, whether those are state or federal regulations. I guess the answer to questions is to be determined because I don't really have enough information yet, but I'm definitely in the information gathering Mode on those sorts of topics.
1: Awesome. Yeah, it was kind of a curveball. I don't know the answer to that either. Just wanted to see. <laughs> um, this is an opportunity for you to basically say, promote you for a little bit. Why are you the best choice for our school board? What makes you most qualified, in your opinion?
2: Yeah, so this one's always really hard for me because my whole career I was always the staffer behind the candidate or behind the commissioner or the secretary, the, you know, that person. And so uh, I'm not really good at self-promotion, which I found is somewhat problematic when you're running for public office. (laughs) Um, But I will say that, you know, I have five kids in all different areas of our school and they all learn differently and they all have different struggles and strengths. Um, Some are really good at math and some really struggle with math. Some are crazy readers that are blowing through chapter books and others struggle to even read one chapter book. You know, so I get where it's not one size fits all in our district. Not every kid has the same needs and can go on the same path and be equally successful. You know, I myself was diagnosed with dyslexia in second grade. And so, uh, you know, I have a unique perspective when it comes to some of our struggling students and what some of our families who are right on the brink of their kid, their their student necessarily doesn't meet the standard to get that little bit of extra help, but they're right below the level where they're not meeting their full potential and to try to figure out how, We don't let those students fall through the cracks. You know, there is um, a woman actually from our community reached out to me through my Facebook page just yesterday and was talking to me and sent me, which I haven't had the opportunity to read them all yet. And I'm excited to finish reading them three or four articles that show that, you know, kids that are struggling readers or that are dyslexic a lot of times turn into teenagers who suffer from depression because they're constantly feeling like they can't catch up and they can't kind of get to that next level and everything is so much easier for everyone else. And, but yet same time they're too embarrassed to talk about it. And so, you know, I just have a different perspective on those sorts of things. I'm not sure that a lot of other candidates have, you know, and the other piece of it is I don't have a personal agenda to promote. I don't. Um, You know, I'm in it for the students and I'm in it for the teachers and I'm in it for the families and not for any sort of personal belief that I have or any feeling I personally have against or for a policy in the district. You know, I just want to make sure that our district and our schools can be a place where all our students can go and feel safe and feel supported and can get the education that they deserve to get and the same thing with our teachers and our staff that they feel listened to and they feel heard and they don't feel like they can't ask a hard question to an administrator or even reach out to a school board member because they're worried that that might get them in trouble with any sort of other higher level in the district. If they don't go through the proper chain of command, you know, I, I want to, to see our district grow in a way that we become more of a community and less like a bunch of schools that all just happen to be in the same town or now city, I guess. So, um, you know, working for the state for seven years for many different agencies that had their own problems. And, you know, I worked at the BMV for a while, so there was a lot of branches all over the place and trying to figure out how to, make broad policies for the whole agency that didn't alienate any one part of those communities, you know, gives me a unique perspective on how we can move forward. So I would say with all of those things is why, why I'm running and why I think I'm probably the best candidate for the Delaware Township seat.
1: Awesome. So that was the end of the all candidate questions. I do have a couple personal questions about your website and platform. I did read through your website and I saw you worked within the Daniels administration, at least you said that on your website and have experience within public service, which we have talked about. Um, What's a project that you've worked on in public service that you're the most proud of, do you think?
2: Um, That one's actually really easy for me to answer. Uh, I worked as a legislative director for the Indiana Criminal Justice Institute in 2007. um, And as a legislative director, you're basically, you're the lobbyist for the state. You know, you you go and you lobby the legislature on behalf of the agency you work for, your state employee, but you have the same job as a a private lobbyist would that represents an entity. Um, And that session... It was the only year I worked there and I was hired specifically to pass one piece of legislation, which was before 2007 in the state of Indiana. If you drove a car that had a truck plate on it, truck license plate, not a passenger plate, but a truck license plate, the white ones that say TK and have the numbers, you you were exempt from wearing your seatbelt. And you could put truck plates on trucks, SUVs, minivans and full-sized vans because of how they're it's kind of nuanced, but how their certificate of origin of how they are is you can put a, you can pay an extra at that point, 9 to put a truck plate on your car. So you could have someone that has a, a minivan full of kids that no one is required by law to wear a seatbelt in the car. And the same, at the same time, in Indiana, before 2007, you only had to wear your seatbelt if you were in the front two seats of the car. If you were in the back seat of the car, you were not required to wear a seatbelt, which is how people got away with riding in the bed of pickup trucks. Um, so my job was to lobby the legislature to pass a law that closed that loophole in our state law, we did pass it that year. And so now in Indiana, no matter what plate you have on your truck or your car, whether it's a truck plate or a passenger plate, you have to wear your seatbelt. And no matter what seat you're sitting in, in the car, you have to wear your seatbelt. And I still get emails from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration every year that tells me basically how many additional lives were saved because people were wearing their seatbelts in the state of Indiana. And I actually pulled it up because I couldn't remember, but it, where did it go? So from 2005 to the percentage of people in trucks that wore seatbelts was 56%. And in 2014, we'll say, because this is how long this, one goes was 90 sorry 79 percent we went up 20 percent there and we went in cars from 88 percent to 93 percent and they've only gone up more since then and so for me that's the the one thing that i'm proudest of when i worked there it was because it was when you work for, for state government or federal government a lot of the time you don't really get to see how it impacts individual lives sometimes and to be able to see that number every year for me makes me really proud of how hard I worked there just to make that change um people might get really mad at me because they don't
1: like to wear their seatbelts, but that's okay I'm okay with that but do you think there's skills from working on that project that will translate well to you being on the school board yeah, it was not an easy bill to
2: pass, um, especially in the more rural communities. Originally, there was the loophole was in the law because of farmers. They would say, well, then we don't need to put our seatbelts on or, you know, drive between our fields or, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's more of a hassle to be able to have to do that when all I'm doing is driving from here to there and one field to the other. Um, so it was piece of legislation died multiple times during the legislative process. Um, and we had to resurrect it. And it was a lot of give and take. And it was a lot of compromise and negotiating and appealing to people's different interests of, you know, we're not doing this to penalize anyone. We're doing it because the data shows that we, if we do this, a whole lot of lives are going to be saved every year from this. And kids that grow up watching their parents put their seatbelts on are Something like 93% more likely to be seatbelt wearers their whole life. Um, it's a habit that starts at a really young age, and it's one of those things where when you watch the adult in your life do it as a kid, that's just kind of what you continue to do because that's what has always been done. And so I think being able to build consensus around that sort of controversial topic and to be able to have difficult conversations with people. Um, and when we still didn't agree at the end to be able to say, okay, I respect your decision. I respect your position. You know, you want any more information, I'm happy to give you more, but, you know, I respect where you are and we were able to part ways. And, you know, the next year when I worked for the BnV the next year, we were able to work really well on another piece of legislation together. So even when, when the, conversation is difficult and you don't agree you know I feel like it gave me good experience in in how to work in those difficult situations and how to build relationships on other on opposite sides of issues and be able to have constructive conversations to be able to move forward whether it's together or separately um which I'm not sure on I would have gotten anywhere
1: else. Well, thank you for your work in passing the seatbelt law. <laughs> I even have a pen still that the governor signed to sign to need the
2: law. Nice. Um,
1: also, on your website, you have a statement that says you want to ensure every child gets quality education that HSC has a reputation for. And you're absolutely right; we do have a very prestigious reputation for quality education. Uh, I'm wondering, could you expand upon the term every child that you use there? Sure, I would be happy to. To me, every child is every child. It
2: is every child, no matter the color of their skin, the color of their hair, um, whether they live with grandma or whether they live with mom or whether they live in, you know, are in a situation where they are living in foster care, um, whether their parents live in Geist, or whether they live in one of our multiple, you know, but very nice apartment communities, you know, and it doesn't matter to me. Every student is whether they identify with a different pronoun or gender than they maybe stated on their birth certificate um, or, you know, different. My kids go to New Britain, so the... The diverse population there is, is fantastic. I love it. I love it. that's why my kids go there. But there's different there's different religions. There's different cultures that, that are there. And so every student is every student, no matter what their difference from someone else is. If they are a student that attends our school, um, they deserve the same education as every other student that walks through that door, no matter of any circumstance that they may be in. They all should have... Access to a learning environment that they feel safe in, that they feel supported in, that they're not they're, that they're not scared to go to school, or dread going to school, or come home and are just devastated because, you know, yet again they feel like they can't be them true their their true selves because they don't feel like they would be accepted and. I would love nothing more than for that not to happen anymore. And so when I say every kid, I mean every kid.
1: Those are the last questions that I have for you. I've left this space open for candidates to talk any more about themselves, clear anything up, ask me any questions, flip the tables. <laughs>
2: sure. So uh, are you are currently a high school student?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm a senior this year.
2: Are you Fishers or HSD? Fishers. You on my side of, of <laughs> the community. Um,
1: what, what do you want to do when you grow up? God, help me if I know. <laughs> I'm figuring it out.
2: <laughs> Purdue is a um, science major, like biology major, and ended with a science degree, so... Trust me, you don't need to know right away what you want to do. Sometimes the things that you don't think that you ever wanted to do or what you really ended up liking.
1: So good. I think that's all I have. Awesome. I really- Thank you for being interviewed. Uh, anytime. If we have no other closing statements, then we can just wrap it up and I will go ahead and end the meeting. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice night.
0: Once again, my thanks to Izzy and Casey Alexander for handling the school board candidate interviews this election cycle. Remember, if you vote a straight party ticket, your voting process is not over. Continue on to vote for the county council and then for the school board. This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. On behalf of Izzy and Casey Alexander, thanks for listening. Be safe and be kind.